For our text this afternoon, we're going to be looking actually at two passages. Uh, The first in Genesis chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Genesis chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. And then also Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and Exodus 20, 8 through 11. This is the word of our God. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor. And do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, Lord, we thank you for your precious word. Father, we thank you that not only have you given it to us in written form, but Lord, as those that have been redeemed by Christ Jesus, We have the law written upon our hearts. And as we learned this morning, we are given the capability, Lord, to to obey your law. Lord, be with us now. Lord, as we hear from your word, please, by your spirit, show us, Lord, what our duties are. Cause us, Lord, to be ready to obey you. And, Lord, change our attitudes if needed. Lord, bless us now, we pray, in the name of our Savior. Amen. The French philosopher and God-hater Voltaire wrote this, There is no hope of destroying the Christian religion while the Christian Sabbath is acknowledged and kept by men as a sacred day. Another Frenchman, John Calvin, the great Genevan reformer of the 16th century said, if the Lord's day is abolished, the church would be in imminent danger of convulsion and ruin. One of the saddest facets of a culture that is very quickly turning its back on every last vestige of biblical truth is the utter neglect of and the absolute contempt for the Lord's day's Sabbath. 
And in our self-centered, me-centered day and age, two things many try to avoid with all their might are obligation and duty. Our time is a precious commodity in our lives, and we don't like it spent on that which we do not want to do or do not particularly enjoy doing. For the majority of people, for Christians and non-Christians, I suspect, the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to keep it sanctified, is seen by many as if God were robbing them of a day rather than giving them a day. So many want to skip the fourth commandment because they see that Sabbath as a day that God has taken from them rather than a day that he has lovingly and graciously given to them to rest, to heighten their joy and delight in him, to fellowship and commune with him and his people, to worship and praise him and to immerse yourself in the jewels and treasures and the precious promises of his word, to rejoice in his life-giving Bible, the contents of which we are told in Scripture are more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. When will believers in Jesus Christ learn to see the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is not a day that has been taken from us, it is a day that has been given to us to delight ourselves in God? It is the holy day of the Lord. It is the day in which we delight ourselves in the Lord, not doing our own ways, nor finding our own pleasure, nor speaking our own words, as the prophet Isaiah said long ago. The Lord's Day Sabbath is a gracious gift of our loving God. It's a holy day, a high day, a wonderful day, a sanctified day, a special day in which God deserves our very best. Of all the things in your life that you ever wanted to excel at, and we all have them, whether it's your work or sports or music or parenting or teaching, if you are a Christian, do you not desire and long to be the best worshiper of the living God you can possibly be? Don't you long to be as holy in this life as you possibly can be? The Lord's Day Sabbath, as the French philosopher and God-hater Voltaire said, there's no hope of getting rid of Christianity as long as this day is acknowledged by men to be a sacred day. It's a perpetual reminder since creation week that there is a God. It's the day that God has said, you're not supposed to work on that day. Do no work on that day. The entirety of that day is to be spent looking at everything God made and resting and worshiping him on that day. It is the perpetual reminder to the whole world that there is a God. That's why the enemies of Christianity have said, no, 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 open all your businesses on the Sabbath. It's to be seen as every other day of the week. You want to do you want to do whatever ever you do on every other day of the week. The whole of your life is yours. That's what the world is telling us. And God is saying, no, I've given you six-sevenths of your life to conduct your earthly affairs, but this day is mine. You give me this 
one whole day in seven and rest. You don't do your regular work on that day. You don't live like a pagan. I will meet your needs, God tells us. Give me one whole day in seven to think about me, to think about what I have shown you, to think about the creation that I made in six days and rested on the seventh. That's what it's for. It's a perpetual reminder that God exists and that he's here and that he has created all that we see. The first thing I want us to consider is a blessed and sanctified day of rest. A blessed and sanctified day of rest. Look again at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. The end of creation week came. God was finished creating and making everything. Now, there are many commentators that believe that by the phrase, and all of the host of them, that Moses could here be referring to angels. Many have wondered, where exactly in the chronology here did God make angels? We're not explicitly told. But some think that when it says here in verse 1 of chapter 2, all the host of them, that could refer to the stars outside of the sun and moon, And it could also refer to angelic beings because angels are very often referred to as the host, the hosts of heaven. You may remember in Luke chapter 2, in verse 13, at the birth of Christ, the word of God reads, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host. They are referring to angels, praising God. So all the host of them could be a reference to angels. But now look at verses 2 and 3. Here's the key part of this text. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. The importance of this passage to all of the future of the world, cannot be overstated. The great Princeton theologian, Charles Hodge, in his systematic theology, he goes through each one of the Ten Commandments, and he lists in his exposition of the Fourth Commandment seven reasons or seven designs on God's part for the Fourth Commandment. Listen to design number two. I think it's very insightful on Hodge's part, and he makes this point very well. A point that, by the way, Voltaire understood very well. Hodge wrote, it was God's design in the fourth commandment to preserve alive the knowledge of the only living and true God. This was one of the reasons that God gave us a Sabbath, to preserve alive the knowledge of the only living and true God. Think about that. In cultures where the businesses in that area are all the businesses in a nation, All the people stop working on that day. And what does that tell everybody? That we are mimicking the creation week of the one true God that made everything. It is a perpetual reminder, as Hodge says, to preserve alive the knowledge of the only living and true God. And he continues, quote, If heaven and earth, that is the universe, were created, they must have had a creator. And that creator must be extra mundane 
existing before, out of, and independently of the world. He must be almighty and infinite in knowledge, wisdom, and goodness. For all these attributes are necessary to account for the wonders of the heavens and the earth. So long, therefore, as men believe in creation, they must believe in God. This accounts for the fact that so much stress is laid upon the right observance of the Sabbath, end quote. Hodge's point is very clear. Every single work week that has elapsed since God took six days to create and make all things and then rest on the seventh, every work week that has come and gone since then has reminded the world that God exists and that he's the creator. The six-day work week and the Sabbath remind everybody of God's existence, his power, his attributes, and his lordship over mankind and all of creation. This is the fact that has caused the enemies of the Christian faith, such as Voltaire, to set their crosshairs on the Christian Sabbath, to annihilate it. Because as long as it is observed and recognized in society, that society will be, in some sense, acknowledging and hanging on to the knowledge of the one true and living God. Now, I'm only barely old enough to know about these things called blue laws. Do you remember blue laws? You weren't allowed to be open on Sunday to do business, yet that is just marginally in my living memory. I do count myself very blessed to work in an industry where one of the the few blue laws still exists, at least in this state. It's still against the law to sell cars on Sunday in Oklahoma. Praise be to God. But besides that, for most of my life, businesses being closed on Sundays was a thing of the past. It was a part of society in those times for businesses to be closed on Sunday. This society, there's no question, has moved very much away from Sabbath observance. Now, what does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? Obviously, it doesn't mean that God was fatigued or that he needed to take a break to regain his strength. It simply means that God stopped creating and making things. Notice what verses 2 and 3 say about what God did for the seventh day. There are three main things he did here. First, he rested, meaning he stopped creating and spent the whole day essentially providentially upholding what he had created. But he didn't make or create anything else on that seventh day. And then he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. It was made a special day. To be sanctified means to set apart. What was the tabernacle in the wilderness and later the temple in Jerusalem called? A sanctuary. It was an area or a room or a building set apart for holy purposes. Namely, the worship of God. The utensils in that were used in the tab- that were used in the tabernacle and temple were said in the Old Testament law to be sanctified, to be set apart. The seventh day was sanctified by God for a special purpose that was different from the other six days. The other six days, God was obviously extraordinarily busy calling things into existence and forming and creating all the creatures and the land and the atmosphere and then finally putting man upon the earth. 
He was busily doing work on that day, but the seventh day was set apart for rest, to do nothing on that day from his perspective except to contemplate his own greatness and the wonders that he had created during the week, his week of creation. The special day is no longer seen as sanctified by our culture. It is not seen as set apart for anything. It's seen as your day to do whatever you want. It went from being the beginning of the week, the first day of the week, as it is called in the New Testament, to being the last day of the weekend, an invention of 20th century leisure culture. Sadly, a vast majority of what calls itself the Christian church sees it this way as well. There are more and more, there are more and more Christians becoming hesitant to even bring up in their churches the idea of how do we keep the Sabbath? What does it mean to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy? If you even ask that question in most churches today, you'll be branded as what? A legalist. For even asking, should we obey God's commandments? Should we obey his law? What does it mean to obey the Sabbath? What does it mean to keep his day holy? It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's just as much a part of the moral law as thou shalt not kill, or you shall not murder. Do we call people who abide by that law legalists because they don't murder? The Sabbath is just as much a part of God's moral law. It's just as binding on us today as it always has been. Why is it that the enemies of the Christian faith often understand this better than its adherents? Why does Voltaire know beyond all question that to exterminate the Christian faith, you must first get rid of the Sabbath? while many professing Christians would likely refuse to even participate in a discussion of how we might better keep the Sabbath day holy. In his book called Celebrating the Sabbath, author Bruce Ray, in his opening chapter, and his, op- his opening chapter is called Sabbath. You know, we have McNuggets and McMuffins and McCafe. Now we have Sabbath. he says. And he says this in his first chapter. As some unknown observer has described modern America, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. People simply do not take Sunday seriously anymore as a day dedicated to holy uses. Some churches are responding by offering abbreviated worship services on other days of the week. One man told me that his church was adding brief and formal Saturday night worship services to their schedule. The reason for the additional meeting is that they were located in an area that offers many recreational opportunities that compete with traditional Sunday morning services. By having services on Saturday night, people can have the whole day on Sunday to go hiking and to go shopping and sailing and whatever else they want to do without being inconvenienced by having to attend services. We can just fit God into our schedules the way we do piano lessons and dental appointments. Then if something more interesting comes along, we can always reschedule. Some churches have changed to Friday night services, he writes. And one congregation in our area has services only on Thursday nights so that those craving even more recreation can have the whole weekend for their enjoyment. 
without any spiritual interruption. And he declares, McSabbath is here. Worship services that are quick and easy and convenient and user-friendly. No muss, no fuss. Little or no sacrifice required. Consumers can be in and out in under an hour. McSermons may not be as nutritional as the, the real thing, but like Big Macs, they have a predictable quality that fills the void at least for a while. The question is, however, do they fulfill the purpose of worship, which is to please God? Unquote. McSabbath. It's worth the price of that book just to get this chapter. What a sad commentary on the state of the contemporary church in our nation. The second point we will consider, the fourth commandment. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. The way in which God gave the fourth commandment to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, this is a very important passage. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 in the first part of, of verse 10 as we begin our exposition of this second point. God, with his own finger on tablets of stone, wrote, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Notice here again that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord our God, the Lord your God. Even unbelievers know that this this was what the weekly Sabbath is about. When the Sabbath is observed and kept and recognized in a culture, everyone knows why we're celebrating it. Because the God of heaven and earth gave this to us as a commandment in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, and also as a creation ordinance. Right there at the end of creation week, God sets this day apart for himself. It is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now a question will... We'll, inevitably come up here. What about the seventh day versus the first? As Christian Sabbatarians, obviously, we see Sunday as the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day Sabbath. Keech's Catechism, also known as the 1693 Baptist Catechism, which is based on the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, and you may have a copy of it with you now. It's in the back of the confession that, we, that we've handed out here. In that catechism, question number 65 of Keech's catechism, it asks, which day of the seven has God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? And the answer is, from the creation of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. And by the way, this is identical to question number 59 and its answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And we just read God set apart what day? The seventh day. The seventh day, and he sanctified that day. So we saw that in Genesis 2 and verse 3, he blessed the seventh day. He sanctified the seventh day. And he rested on the seventh day. But we know beyond any question that in the New Testament, when you look at the New Testament documents, at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in the book of Acts, 
that the apostles and Christian believers met to take up offerings and to hear sermons and to worship on the first day of the week. Just a couple of references if you want to write them down. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 is a passage that states, states this for us. In verse 2, it says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no collections when I come. It's very interesting here. The word Paul uses that is translated of the week, in first day of the week, is sabbaton. It's the word that we get Sabbath from, which is itself a transliteration of the Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat. Now, that word paired with the word for one or first, it literally reads first of the week, the beginning of the week. Not Saturday, the last day of the week, which the Jews celebrated as the Sabbath under the Old Covenant. But Sunday, the beginning day of the week, the first day of the week, there has been a change. Another text that shows this is Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, that's a reference to the Lord's Supper, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Luke uses the same phrase that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 16 that is translated first day of the week, the beginning day of the week. The disciples came together and broke bread and heard apostolic preaching on the first day of the week. The Apostle Paul and the believers did this on the first day of the week or the first of the week. And Paul preached a sermon until midnight. And don't worry, I'm not going to try that today. He continued his speech or his message until midnight. But they would hear preaching on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But this is different from what Luke writes, for example, in Acts chapter 18, when describing what Paul did when he arrived in Corinth. After finding Priscilla and Aquila there, the Word of God tells us in Acts 18.4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. Here, Luke is referring to the Jewish Sabbath. Not the first day of the week, but the last day of the week. Or more technically, the time period from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. That was the day that the Jews and the Greek God-fearers gathered in the synagogues to hear the Old Testament scriptures read and expounded. Not on the first day of the week, on the last day of the week. It wasn't on the first day of the week. That's the day that the Christian disciples met to break bread and to hear the teachings of the apostles. Two different days entirely. And Luke clearly distinguishes them in Acts. And notice also that God has given us six-sevenths of our entire lives to labor and to work and to do the things that we want to do. Now, granted, private worship to the living God is to be a part of our everyday life. We should read the Bible every single day, and we should pray, and we should worship God in our homes as families and individuals every day. But God says that this one day in its entirety 
is to be given to him. The seventh day is not for us to labor and for us to do all of our work. God says six days you will labor and do all of your work, not on the Sabbath, though. Not on the Sabbath. That day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. God is saying, I own that day. I've given you six days, but this seventh one is to be given to me. I'm giving you this as a gift. This is my day for you to acknowledge me. Now, notice in the second part of verse 10 and verse 11, back in Exodus 20, the word of God says, In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gate, thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in, and all in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the question is, what does he mean by thou, sh- thou shalt do no work or you shall do no work? What does that mean? And again, we can turn to the Baptist Catechism for aid and understanding. Question 65, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? And the answer is, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in private and public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as it is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Now, we'll look at some of the passages describing what those things mean, but I want to give you a biblical illustration of just how zealous one of God's great men was for the Sabbath day. And I really do believe Nehemiah would not find these actions to be welcome in the majority of professing Christian churches in America today. Listen to Nehemiah at the very end of the book of Nehemiah. Here you have Nehemiah who started out as the king's cupbearer there in a foreign land, and he was on a mission. I want to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And he comes back, and he's being opposed by everybody. He's even got traitors on the inside that are making deals with the pagan nations around them. But he manages to get the wall built, and they summon all the scattered people of Israel. The people of Israel come from all over the place, and they have a time of national confession, national prayer of repentance and reading of the law, and life begins to be reestablished. God brings the exiled people of Israel back to the land of promise, and he allows them to rebuild the temple and the wall. But then things start happening. The people start disobeying God again. The people start doing such horrifying evil as breaking the Sabbath. Listen to what happens. This is Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 to 21. Please hear what Nehemiah is writing here. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses and also wine, grapes, and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware. 
and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came there came they no more on the Sabbath. So here you have Nehemiah, who goes to the nobles and says, Hey, you're profaning the Sabbath. You guys are doing business on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. Remember? We came back from Babylon. God destroyed us once for that. Why are you guys doing that again? And he says, Shut the gate, and I want the guards to be put there. And then the people were coming and camping out on the night before the Sabbath. And he goes over to them and he said, they only did it once or twice, but he says, if you do this again, I'm going to manhandle you. Where it says in the text, lay hands on you. Yeah, he's not talking about imparting a spiritual blessing. He's saying, I'm going to get violent with you. As one commentator has noted, Nehemiah was not a public relations expert. Read the rest of Nehemiah. At the very end, he finds that there were Israelites who had intermarried with pagans and saw that their children couldn't speak the language of Judah. And so Nehemiah basically goes back and beats them up. He rips their beards out. He pulls out their hair. He makes a big fuss about it. This guy was extremely zealous. For what? That God's name will be honored that the Sabbath would be kept and honored by people. He was willing to go out on a limb and to put himself at risk, offending people to make sure they honored this day. Now, what does the Baptist catechism mean when it says, spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship? Well, there were a number of things that we know people did on the Sabbath that were approved by God. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4 and verse 16, we know that Jesus went into the synagogues to do what? To read and to exposit Scripture. That's what the apostles did. They would go around on the Sabbath. They would go into synagogues and read Scripture and preach the Gospel. As I've already read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and Acts chapter 20, the disciples gathered to take up collections to hear messages preached and to break bread or have the Lord's Supper. That's why we do this on the first day of the week. Because it's the apostolic example that's given to us in Scripture. So those are the public exercises of God's worship. The attendance of worship services as we are gathered together. The reading of Scripture among assembled believers. 
having the Lord's Supper, the fellowship with other believers, praying together. But there's also private worship. Turn over to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Now, in that psalm, we are told in the superscript, which is also part of the original text, that this is a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. And what we have in Psalm 92 is an example of a godly man, David, engaging in the private worship of God. There that psalm has David meditating on the wonder of who God is. He says in the very first verse after the superscript, says, it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. So here you have a man engaging in private worship, writing out his thoughts about God. And we could imagine that maybe he was taking a walk through a field or looking at all that God had made and was worshiping, worshiping him privately. The private and public exercises of God's worship, except so much as it to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy, says the catechism. Now, when I was younger and I first tried to understand what the law requires of me, I asked, what is God's will for me? And it took some time, but I saw that the law is not a bad thing. The law is a gift from God. We should love it. We should want to obey it in thankfulness to God for all that he's done for us. What does it mean, in it thou shalt not do any work? I used to think, well, pushing the covers off of me in the morning, that's basically work, right? Getting up and fixing breakfast is technically work, isn't it? Well, in in a sense, yes. But that's not our normal daily commerce or activity. It's not the way in which we make our living. And notice that it's very important to point out, because Jesus did this by example for us, that the whole day is to be taken up in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except works of necessity and mercy. Things like eating. Eating is a necessity. That's why in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1 it says this, At this time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, or grain, grain fields, and his disciples were and hungered, they were hungry, and begun to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. And of course the Pharisees objected to this. You're not supposed to be doing that. Well, Have you ever thought about why it was okay for for the Lord to do this? Because eating is a work of necessity. Also, sleep is is a work of necessity. Sleep, brushing your teeth, bathing yourself. Those are things that we normally do to function, but it's not a part of our normal daily commerce of the six out of the other seven days that we work and do all our labor. So we do works of necessity. Changing diapers, 
That's definitely a work of necessity. Traveling to church and the normal things that we do to function every day. There's lots of things that you could see as a work of necessity that are good and acceptable for us to do. And there are types of jobs that require work on the Sabbath. For example, medicine. If your child falls and breaks open their chin and needs stitches, it's a work of necessity to be able to, in a mercy, to take them to the emergency room. And we're thankful for those that are there to stitch them back up. But to the agrarian society that these commandments were given, there was always the temptation to just work continually, just constantly be working every single day of the week. And God said, no, you will take a day off. And don't worry about this. I will make sure that your needs are met. Remember when God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness with manna? How much manna did he give them the day before the Sabbath? He gave them twice as much, right, to make sure they had enough. God will take care of us. He gave us the Sabbath and commands us to keep that day holy for our good. So the works of necessity are the works that we normally do in a day. Sleeping, eating, changing diapers, or whatever your life requires. The normal day-in, day-out functions that we do. But also works of mercy. The Sabbath is a great day to engage in works of mercy. For example, in Luke chapter 14, we read this, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them, saying, Which of you having an ass or an ox fallen into a pit will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. If someone gets hurt on the Sabbath, if your donkey fell into a pit, if you had a donkey, you would help the donkey and get it out. If your child fell and got hurt, you would help that child. And that wouldn't be considered work. That's a, that's a work of necessity. Not labor, not your normal work. Works of mercy are always a good thing for us to do. They're always acceptable for us to do. That's why Jesus asked the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because what did they think about that? They thought, no, no, that's work. You can't do that. Remember the man that had been lame for 38 years in John chapter 5? And Jesus says, take up thy bed and walk. And what's the first thing the Pharisees say? It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. The guy had been lame for 38 years. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. It's okay to do works of mercy and compassion on the Sabbath day. So what is forbidden by this commandment? Now, it's important to know what, what it is forbidding. The fourth commandment in question 66 of the Baptist Catechism says, The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required, and the profaning the day by idleness, or doing that which is in itself sinful, 
or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about worldly employments or recreations. It is a sin for us to look at the Sabbath as annoying as, or, or as obstructing what we prefer to be doing and thereby omitting the duties of that day or by, or by performing them carelessly. If we got to bed so late Saturday night that we're completely wiped out, that we can't listen or participate in anything, we're sinning against God. He deserves our very best. Go to, t- go to bed on time on Saturday night so that you will be at your most alert point. Your most alert time of day is on Sunday when you're gathered with the Lord's people, hearing the word of God preached and worshiping God. God rebuked the people of Israel for their careless Sabbath observance, for looking at the Sabbath as annoying them. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 4, we read this. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat? You see the attitude here? I wish this day would hurry up and get over so that I could go back to the things I want to do. The great Matthew Henry wrote one of the most convicting papers I've ever read. It's just a paper called a serious address to those who profane the Lord's day. It's filled with incredible pastoral and biblical insight, and it's, it's truly convicting to read. I, I highly recommend it. And it made me very, very thankful that Jesus Christ hung and died on a cross for my Sabbath breaking. At one point in this paper, Henry wrote these remarkable words that I hope And pray we will all take to heart. Listen to his passion here. Have you no regard to the eternal God, even the Father, that made you and all the world? The Sabbath was first ordained to be celebrated by the reasonable creatures in this lower world. For in the upper world, they keep an everlasting Sabbath to the honor of the great creator. As a standing memorial of the finishing of the work of creation that in the observance of it we may give him praise for the wonders we see in all the creatures and may give him thanks for the favors and comforts we receive by them. This is specified in the fourth commandment as the ground of that ancient institution which bore date before the entrance of sin into the world. Do you see what Henry is saying here? This has been a creation ordinance, the Sabbath, This is not even something introduced in the law. This is a creation ordinance. Right at the end of creation week, God instituted this for our benefit. And Henry continues, The author and spring of all movements of time justly claims to be Lord of time, and he has wisely appointed one day in seven to be consecrated to him as an acknowledgement that he is so, and that our times are both from his hand and in his hand. And dare you sacrilegiously rob him of this tribute and demand to have even this also, as well as the rest of the days of the week at your own disposal, own disposal to be given away to the world and to the flesh? Do you hear that sentence? And dare you sacrilegiously rob him of this tribute and demand to have even this also, as well as the rest of the days of the week 
at your own disposal. May it never be. One writer gave this illustration. There was once a married man who dearly loved his wife. He loved her so much that he was willing to sacrifice anything necessary to please her. He had an idea one day that excited him tremendously. He was going to plan the perfect day for his wife. He had been studying this woman for some time, and he knew everything about her. He knew what she liked and disliked. He knew her favorite foods, her favorite places, her favorite activities, and everything else that would make her truly happy. And he planned day and night for weeks for this day and spent nearly all his personal savings making reservations at her favorite restaurants, tickets to favorite, her favorite show, and even buying her a dress she had always wanted. But he had not been able to afford. Even while he was planning this day, he could hardly contain his enthusiasm. And he couldn't wait to see the look on her face when he told her about it. Finally, that day came, and the husband told his wife about this perfect day that he had been planning for weeks. He even had the, the entire day planned out in 15-minute intervals so that she could see how much work he had put into it. When she heard all of this and saw his plan, she was overwhelmed with his kindness and embraced him. She then looked into his eyes and said, My dear, you were just wonderful. I can't believe you would do all of this for me. Everything on here is perfect for me. You even bought me this wonderful dress. You are so special to me. And she paused for a second, and she looked directly into his eyes and said, we can only spend one hour together. That's what we do to God when we break his Sabbath. The Baptist Catechism answered to question 66. What is forbidden in the fourth commandment? Profaning the day by idleness or doing that which is in itself sinful, or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about worldly employments or recreations. And the following passage of Scripture is cited by the Catechism. And if you want to make a, a, a passage the, to look at the rest of this day, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. The Word of God says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. My own ways, my own pleasure, my own words. We are told in this passage that when we call the Sabbath a delight, when we treat his holy day as honorable and shall honor the Lord by not doing our own ways, our own pleasures, speaking our own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And here's God's promise. I will cause you to ride on the high places or the high hills of the earth. Obeying God is the narrow and difficult path. We're not going to pretend that it's easy. It's hard. Jesus said, Enter ye 
in at the straight gate, or the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go thereat. It's broad and easy. And there are tons of people walking on the path to destruction that says, who cares about that day? You don't need to regard it as holy. No one in your society and culture and even the majority of the professing church cares about it either. Why should you? But Jesus said, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. And I'm really convinced and I, I believe that if we applied ourselves to say this day really is going to be holy for the Lord, even if I'm worn out at the end of it, trying to focus my wandering mind on the things of God this day and the treasures of his word, that God would raise us up and show us that this, this is what true delight about him looks like. It would be hard at first. It would be like an uphill climb. It would be like trying to start running when you haven't done it in 10 years. Those first few times, you're going to have to stop. You're not going to be able to make it up the hill. But as you do it more and more, as you observe the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, like it's exercising, you, you get better and better at it, and God will be honored in it. You see, the law of God is a very high watermark. God's law commands us, you shall not covet. Think about that commandment, you shall not covet. If we experience a moment of discontentment in our lives, we've broken that commandment. If we have a sexually immoral thought, we're adulterers. If we hate somebody without cause, we are murderers. If we regard anything in the place of God, we're idolaters. If we exaggerate anything or stretch the truth on anything, we are liars. How difficult is it to obey God's law? We cannot do it, and yet the law does not change for us. The standard is still there. The whole of that day is to be given to God. But for some reason, so many Christian people believe we have, we have kept this commandment if we went to church once and nothing more. Look at the commandment. If you're still there in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy labor. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, that thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We are commanded by God to remember the Sabbath day, not the Sabbath hour, not the Sabbath morning. Do we believe that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them in a real 24-hour day or six 24-hour days? 
then we should believe that a whole day, the Sabbath day, is to be remembered and kept holy, not just an hour or a few hours. Notice also that this is not just a commandment to people as individuals, but to those who have charge over others. If this were simply a command to us as individuals, the entire phrase in verse 10 that says, you nor your son nor your daughter, your male servant nor your female servant, on and on, that wouldn't even be a part of the commandment. It would just be omitted completely. And yet, if you are a head of a household, if you have people in your household, those individuals are given that commandment to remember the Sabbath. But you as the head are particularly charged to make sure your son, your daughter, and everyone else in your charge honors and keeps that day holy as well. That's why Nehemiah had that burden to make sure the Sabbath was kept, even by those who didn't want to keep it. Those people would have been doing business, happily doing business, with no regard for God at all. And Nehemiah threatens violence against them. He said basically to them, you're not going to break the Sabbath. I'm not going to let you do that. But this commandment is different from the others in that way in that those who have charge over others are commanded that they keep it as well. The commandment from God is to remember the day and not the hour. That God rested from his labor and to give that time to the public and private exercises of God's worship, to refrain from our normal work, and to make sure that everyone under our care and in our sphere of influence likewise remembers the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Now people might say, that's just too much. That's too long to engage in public and private worship in the church and in our homes and in our families. Matthew Henry answered that objection and let him answer for us. He wrote, Shall we think one day in seven too much when eternity itself will be too little? Think about that. Here's the rest of the quote. Shall we think one day in seven too much when eternity itself will be too little to be spent in the joyful contemplations and thankful praises of the height and depth the length and breadth of the love of Christ which passes knowledge? Do the holy angels attend the Redeemer with their constant adorations and praises and praise him without intermission? Yes. And shall we who are more immediately interested in and benefited by his undertaking convert to other purposes any of those few hours of the week which are consecrated to his praise? Is our Lord Jesus continually appearing in heaven for us, always mindful of our concerns there? And shall we make thus light of his glory and care so little to appear before him and before the world for him? Might but the love of Christ command us and that love constrain us. Surely we should love the Lord's day for his sake, whose day it is, would bid it welcome and call it a delight. So my final word of exhortation and conclusion is this. Let us remember what we said at the beginning. This is not a day being taken from us, but given to us. 
both for our earthly and for our eternal good. Let us repent of our failures and strive to encourage one another to better Sabbath keeping. And I pray for myself and for all of us that when we lay our heads on the pillow at night, we can say with integrity in our hearts that for us and our families, this day is now over and it was truly the Lord's day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you use your word, Lord, to correct us and to change us. Father, I pray that each one here and myself, Lord, that we would all honor you and remember your holy day. And Lord, that we would rest from our worldly engagements and works. And Lord, spend this day filling it with your praise and your worship and with acts of mercy and necessity, Lord. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. In our own power, we are insufficient for this. We pray, Lord, for your enabling. We pray, Lord, that we would be an honor to you while we're in this world. And, Lord, we look to the day, the eternal rest, in which we will be in your presence before you every moment. And, Lord, in that day, there will be joy continually. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.